This is what I think you have to tell the supervised visit person. I'll do whatever it takes. I don't care. Tell me I had to crawl through glass. I just want to be in my children's lives. Yeah, exactly. But believe it or not, the person who's doing the supervised part for me, now this is where it's a little bit unfair, is my ex's mum. Welcome to Why Daddy Never Cries podcast with your host, Chuck Kelleher. At Why Daddy Never Cries, we'll explore the lives surrounding daddies, their children, divorce, and silent domestic violence. We'll hear real-life horror stories from unsung heroes fighting for the ability to stay in their children's lives. We'll get those voices heard and hopefully find solutions before you lunatics burn the whole place to the ground. Hang in there, daddies. Chuck's here. Chuck Kelleher and Why Daddy Never Cries are providing this podcast as a public service. I've known Chuck for 45 years, and he's neither a lawyer nor a mental health professional. He's not a doctor nor a rogue scholar by any stretch of the imagination. Chuck is simply a guy who's lived in hell for 20 years. Once he found a way out, he drew a map to help others navigate their own way home. The views and opinions expressed by Why Daddy Never Cries employees or our guests are their own. Guest appearance on the program do not imply an endorsement of them their opinions, or any entity they represent. And please, for the love of God, if you have any questions or fears about your unique circumstances, please contact a lawyer, a religious leader of your choice, or a medical professional in your area. Don't fuck this up, brothers, because we're all in this together. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Voss G2, for helping small and medium-sized businesses elevate their brand perception with design. Take your brand to the next level at VossG2.com. We'd also like to thank Harry Duran, and his team at Fullcast for their amazing assistance. If you're planning a podcast and you haven't contacted Fullcast, you might as well call your show Podfade. All right, man. How's everyone doing out there today? Today we're talking with Race, who missed a couple of red flags, and man, he paid the price. But do you know what? We all missed some of those red flags. Race is with the 166 Motorcycle Club, a charity group that uses motorcycles to bring happiness to people in need. The group had 850 members ride to raise money for a boy with a brain tumor. Listen to this episode, I want you to think of something. What would it take to get 850 men to stand up at once and say, I'm a victim of domestic violence and false allegations? And if just 850 men did that, how many children's lives do you think would be saved? Please remember, any advice given here doesn't mean it'll work for you. Each situation is unique. Know your local laws. It's imperative. In a world where headlines scream for attention, we choose to listen to the whispers that hold the true revelations. All right, let's get into this. So, Race, welcome to the Why Daddy Never Cried podcast. How you doing, brother? No, I'm all good. Obviously, I do want to get my story out there for people to hear. Hopefully, it will help other people as well going through the same sort of situation as me. That is definitely the plan for this. That is definitely the plan for this podcast. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where you call home these days? Okay, so I live in the United Kingdom. I am in Hastings, which is the south coast of England. Okay, how long have you been there? I've lived here basically all my life, uh, apart from one year I spent in Spain, in Torrevieja. Nice. <laughs> Was that a good year? Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> can imagine. Now, your kids, do they live in the area? They do live in the same country. They are in a different area. They're in Kent. Where's Kent in relation to you? How long does it take you to get to them? If and when you can get there. It's basically about an hour and a half car journey. That's about what I do to get my kids. Yeah. I don't know if you heard Scott's interview a couple of days ago, the musician, but he was doing five hours one way to get his kids. Oh, blimey. That's a long old journey. That's a long journey, but he's got a a relationship with them today because he did. So God bless him. Yeah. And that's exactly what I'm trying to get with mine. Yeah. Uh, And how old are the kids? Uh, So my little girl has just turned seven, which was in August. And my little boy, he is now two, and he was born in May. Great ages. Oh, yes, definitely. So I remarried, and I have a seven-year-old boy and a four-year-old girl. So we both know what it's like. (laughs) But yeah, the amazing story about before like all the breakup and everything else like that, an amazing story, is my little boy, he was born in my car. No way. Yeah, so basically I was at work. I got a message off my partner at the time, which is now my ex, um, the one we're obviously speaking about today. <laughs> she basically sent me a message saying, oh, because attractions are getting bad. So it was quickly bundle my daughter into the car, get her into the car, off we went. Right. And the nearest hospital to where we was living 
was about a 15, 20 minute drive okay. from where we were living. And I think I made it about not even halfway there and it was too late. My little boy was basically already there. So we ended up pulling over and my little boy was born in Asda Car Park in Eastbourne. Oh man, that must have been quite the adventure. <laughs> Can't imagine. Oh yes, it was, it was good times though. It was good times back then. And he's got a story to tell someday. Oh yes, definitely. He made all the uh, local papers and the Asda website. <laughs> it's all on there. Now, how'd you meet your ex? It was an awkward start. She basically was in a previous relationship before me with a half-brother of mine. Oh. They split up due to certain reasons of what my half-brother was convicted of. Okay. Like, I'm not really going to say what that was. Sure, no, I get that. You know, that could be a bad thing to be mentioning. But he ended up in prison at the time. Basically, me and her were talking, and obviously, because I'm the nicer one out of the family, <laughs> you know, we were sitting there talking, we were always having a chat, a good laugh, and everything like that, and eventually we ended up getting together. Oh, wow. And from there, we was always good, we was always having a good laugh, having a joke, until obviously recently things, well, just over a year ago, things went downhill. How long were you together? Uh, we were together for seven years. Oh, wow, okay, so you were there for, you were together for quite some time. Oh, yes, definitely. We enjoyed each other's company. I've gone between different jobs since I've been with her. So she's always been there, like, with that aspect of things. Okay. We went through a hard time together. I had a couple of deaths within my family. Mm. My granddad went first in December, shortly followed by my mother, who was only 42. Yikes. And then two days after my mum's funeral, my nan passed away. All on your mum's side or mum's dad's side? All on my mum's side, basically my birth family, I was adopted from okay. a young age. But it was your mother, your mother's paternal father and her paternal mother? Yeah. Jeez, that's rough, brother. So, you know, I lost my home due to my breakup with my kid's mum. And I'm now living with my adopted mum. I lived on my sister's couch for a while, so I definitely can uh, empathize. <laughs> oh, yes. So I'll tell you a little bit more about myself. I was a door supervisor, basically doing security work during that period of the deaths of the family. Okay. I eventually lost my job because I was called into a tragic disaster with an air show in Shoreham. Oof. And eventually I now moved and worked for a charity delivering furniture to people who have fallen on hard times. Oh, oh that's nice. So I do a lot of charity work. I'm also doing a lot of bike charity events as well. We did one recently for a young lad with a brain tumor. The picture with like 100 bikers and yet you were on the bridge. Is that you? I wasn't on the bridge, but I was part of that group. Okay. I was at the very end of that group. I was um, one of the marshals for that event. So I was basically what they call a tail end Charlie. Tail end Charlie. I, I know it well. Oh, yes. So I like that position. It's all good. <laughs> Absolutely. How long have you been riding? I've been riding now for six years. Okay. Oh, you got into it after? Yeah. See, I, I got out of riding once I got married. A lot of guys don't get into it after they got married and kids. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It was easier to, to commute to work, so like all that sort of thing. So it made my life a bit easier, and I was able to not get stuck in traffic on the way. <laughs> so. mm -hmm. And it's like a tenth of the price for gas. Oh, yes. But on my motorbike, I only top up about £11 worth of fuel. And that will fill up my tank. Yeah, I'm going through two tanks a week now, going back and forth to work. All right, so, you, so you've been broken up for about a year now. Yeah. Was the writing on the wall? Did you feel it coming? You were together for seven or did it catch you out of left field? No, it kind of caught me off guard, to be fair. I, you know, I got home from work one evening and she basically said to me, I'm going up to my dad's for a little while. Well, for a couple of days, she was saying to me that her mum was ill. Right. From there, when she said that her mum was there, I was like, right, okay, like, I'll see you in a couple of days. Well, the Friday came along and she sent me a text message saying, I'm not coming back. Hmm. So kind of that aspect, it was kind of out of the blue. And then obviously we didn't talk for a couple of months and we started talking. I found out that she was placed in a woman's refuge by Women's Aid, which obviously was a bit of a shock to me because obviously I didn't know the reason why. Mm-hmm. And the next minute, I've got a email through from a call saying that she pulled out a non-molestation order on me because obviously I was trying to message her and find out what was going on. So obviously she tried to keep me away from then. That got dismissed due to the fact that we both took undertakings. Okay. And then from there, we were talking on and off for a while. Like I went up there and stayed there for a week at one point okay. to obviously help her out with the property and with the children. 
And the following week, she turned around and says, I don't want you up here anymore. So it's a bit like, wow, <laughs> okay. Now, let me ask you a question. Was the relationship like that a little bit in hindsight? To be honest, in hindsight, the relationship wasn't really like that. We kept ourselves to ourselves, basically. We, we, you know, we'd, we'd have a good conversation. You know, she would sit there and watch like TV programs or whatever, or be on the phone to her mates, like happily chat with some of my friends. Okay. You know what I mean? So we was always chatting and having a laugh and everything like that. Where I used to do security work as well, she used to come up on the door and keep me company sometimes. Oh, that's cool. So obviously between myself and her, I used to teach her some of the things that I was taught from doing door supervisor work. So Mm -hmm. if she ever needed to use it, she could. Um, Obviously within the law. Oh yeah. No, I do the same with my children and my wife. Oh yeah. So obviously, you know, we, we had a lot of good times together. We've had a few bad times. Um, my daughter broke the light in our flat. Okay. Um, one of the ceiling lights and had the electrical wires hanging down. Oof. So obviously I had to get that sorted and obviously get her out of the room before she got electrocuted. Absolutely. So that was my main priority is uh, children's safety. Eventually I found out a lot more about my ex's history of other issues that have been around and she's had the same sort of thing in the past. She had a child removed from her care this was from a very previous relationship at the time and the same sort of things that she's now accusing me of i'm actually reading it through her old documents that she had that she had which she left like in my possession so obviously i'm now seeing the repeat of her previous exes and now she's basically bringing it forward and using it again on myself now he used that on her or she used that on him in the first time around she actually used it on him. Yeah, that's uh, there is that pattern. Oh yes, so there's definitely a pattern, and if there is a pattern, it's uh, probably one you want to avoid. To be fair, we're both in the falsely accused network in out of the UK. And how many guys have you heard saying that all the time? Oh, you know, she told me she had an ex. Oh, good one. They called the cops once; they'll call them again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's an ugly line in the sand, ladies. We get it. Sometimes you have to call the cops because guys can be assholes. Not all of us, but there are definitely assholes out there. Oh, yes, definitely. You know, I believe that everyone should have equal rights as well within this sort of thing, because when the authority, when obviously court cases and social services have been involved and all that sort of thing, every time I speak to them about something, they'll take it in, but they won't react onto it. Everything bad that she says about me is in the report, but anything that's been said about her, it's kind of, how can I put it down? How can I put it? Like watered down? Yeah, I know exactly, exactly what you mean. So this is why I feel that, yes, okay, there needs to be more stuff out there for men. Because you look around online, okay, for example, you've got women's aid, you've got people like that, okay? Now, I'm doing a lot of research lately, and one of the things I did wanted to mention as well, now this goes back to 2010, okay? So I'm going to quote where I've got it from, which was Sage Journals. Okay. And this is the question I typed into Google to find it. Why might more men be at risk of suicide after a relationship breakdown? A major risk factor for suicide research quotes, there is elevated risk factor in men following divorce or separation in 2010, where 38,364 people took their own lives. That's 105 suicides. Every day. 105. And this was going back in 2010. Further on to that one, I did read up on 2016. So we are moving slightly forward here. In the UK alone, England and Wales, there was 4,941 recorded deaths. There's a company which we have over here called Samaritans. They had more than 770,000 contacts from people who expressed suicide feelings. 770,000 calls yeah. in a year. In one year. One year time. God. Now, that's insane. That's one of the researches that I've done. The other one I was going to mention as well was this one here. Now, I found this one online on how I managed to find the group that we're in on TikTok, it was. Now, this here is from the Women's Aid Group itself. Okay. Now, they are government funded, and the government has paid them at one point 19 million. 19 million. 19 million. Over what span of time? That's over a year. Business is booming. 
Oh, yes, definitely. Now, a woman, I don't know the person's name, but I did find this on TikTok as well. A woman actually mentioned on a video that she spoke out recently about women's age, stating that women are coached on what to say to keep fathers away from their children. I believe it. And obviously, I have been doing a bit of research within to them as well by looking at their reviews. And one of the reviews I did find stating poor management, poor decisions, no idea what they are talking about. Treat staff and women absolutely terribly. Hmm. And this is on the Women's Aid website. Now, Women's Aid is not a government agency. It's an outside agency that has a contract with the government. I don't really know the ins and outs of it. They are getting paid by the government, but they are a private charity, by what I understand. Okay. I wonder if they're for profit or not for profit, though. People still get paid either way. On Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I'm going to mention some of the things that I was accused of within this one as well because obviously you know the false allegations of what's been told okay okay one of the things i was accused of was being a racist okay i come from a mixed race family (laughs) go ahead i'm sorry yeah i'm with you i too was accused of a racist and i too come from a mixed race extended family yeah so my birth side of the family my mum was the darker skinned lady and my dad was a white man sounds like a racist to me So basically, with them being mixed race, that makes me mixed race. Yeah, maybe that's what they meant to say. Yeah, that racist mixed race. You know, I do have a lot of like relatives that are darker skin than myself. My sister, she's even got darker skin than me, which I'm well jealous of because I want it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm with you. So you know, I'm well jealous because in the sun I burn. So. <laughs> Now, I've got a little of the uh, the Spanish in me, I guess, because I get a nice little tan going. Oh, yes. Well, I'll do after I burn. But yeah, that was one of the um, accusations what was made against me. Now, the most recent one that has come out is an assault. Okay. What kind? Now, now, the assault apparently that I have done was meant to have dislocated her shoulder. How? I've got no idea. <laughs> Of course. But I'm supposed to have dislocated her shoulder, which I can assure you now that has never happened. Obviously, I did request, like, I got interviewed by the police recently about it myself. And I said to him, I said, well, where's the medical record? Yeah. Because surely with a dislocated shoulder, you would have to get medical treatment. Yeah. Well, who diagnosed it? Where's the doctor? Well, that's what I want to know. <laughs> and the answer is there wasn't one. Yeah. So obviously that's come out recently. Now these are all post separation. Are you guys legally divorced yet, or were you married? We wasn't married. We were living together. We wasn't married. Okay. You have common law over there. Yes, we do. Yeah, see, New York does not. Ah, uh, see, that's why I got stuffed. <laughs> <laughs> First thing I asked. Oh yeah. So these have all come out since after the separation. That's crazy. But yeah. Now, was she claiming that it happened after the separation or during the marriage or during the time you guys were together? She was saying it was happening during the time that we were together. Now, if it was true, she would have left me ages ago. Mm-hmm. If she was smart. Yeah, if she was smart. But this was meant to have happened in 2016. And we only broke up last year. And let me guess, they have no proof on it. You still have yet to be able to prove your innocence and they're holding your kids from you until that point. Basically, yes. I I don't get the UK justice system. I tell you, I've said it on almost every episode. I love our right to a speedy trial and US has at least got that right. Well, yeah, at least I got something right. (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll take a win. I'll take a win these days. Yeah, you can take that win. Yeah, so I'm going to mention one of the conversations that I had with the social worker who's involved with the case. Now, at one point, she was requesting that I had supervised contact via a contact center. And I was a bit skeptical about it because obviously it meant that I would have to pay for the venue. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of like, well, no, I don't really want to do that. Because obviously me and, me and her were talking at the time, like by phone and message. Right. And basically we set up a plan that I'll go up there like every other weekend, like to spend the time with the children. Okay. 
that fell apart very quickly due to the fact of one minute she was absolutely fine with me, next minute she wasn't. So that kind of fell apart. And this is where I went to the courts to try and get access to the children. Okay. So the conversation between myself and the social worker was about a meeting that she wanted me to go to. Now, this meeting was happening on a day that I'm meant to be at work. Yeah, been there. So I said to her, I said, look, I work Monday to Friday, 9am till 4.30. I said, you can't really contact me on that because I'm moving furniture all day. Like in them time. So would you be able to contact me once I finish work? Well, I got requested to go to this meeting. I can't remember exactly what date it was now. I said to her, I said, look, I can't really take the time off work because we've got a lot of people short at work at the moment and I'm having to cover. And she goes with this sort of attitude and I'm going to put it across as how she put it. Oh, do you want to see the kids or not? Now, a social worker shouldn't be provoking a situation like that. Agreed. And I have been talking to friends from all over the world. Okay. And they've all said, you need to get in contact with the social services commissioner and all that sort of thing. You need to get hold of the police commissioners and as well. I've been doing all that. I've had a few responses from some of them, but not all of them. What was your response to the social worker? When the social worker spoke to me in that aspect, I kind of was like, well, I want to speak to her manager. And she goes, yeah, yeah, I'll send you the manager's number. Eventually, I did speak to my boss and actually managed to get authorization to take the day off to go to the meeting. But everything I said within that meeting, it was kind of just brushed off. It's a waste of time, yeah. It was a waste of time for me to even go there and even express my opinion. No, I got very lucky with that. I work heavy civil construction on the uh, environmental health and safety side. And when I was going through the divorce, luckily, my boss went through a hell of a divorce. Yeah. And like, just like you, the meetings are during the middle of the day. You're like, you want me to pay child support. You want me to pay every incidental out there. You want me to pay for mine and her lawyers. But you also want me to take off from work when I don't get paid when I don't go to work. I didn't get it. But he covered for me every time. Yeah, exactly. And it's the same sort of situation for me. I mean, my boss, okay, is a good is a good boss. He has his good and bad days. But yeah, I mean, lucky enough, I caught him on a good day and he was able to sort something out for me. Obviously, I was the one then what had to travel all the way to the meeting because it wasn't like halfway between me and her. It was at her end. Yeah, New York State does the same thing. I always have to go into Manhattan where they live. Yeah, so... That's another thing which I find is a bit of an injustice to men because at the end of the day, we're working hard to earn the money that we get. And yet we have to spend it on travel to go to a meeting that's never going to be heard at. Now, this meeting was to decide if you could have access to your kids or just to plan the, what do you hell do you call these things? A supervised visit. <laughs> yeah. So it was there to assess whether that I should have supervised contact or any contact at all. That's insane. But obviously, since then, I have been to the courts and they have stated the fact that I will have supervised contact for a couple of months, which is every other Saturday. And basically, I will be able to see the kids on Facebook every Monday. Okay. So I should be able to see the kids every Monday. Since the court date, that hasn't happened at all. And the reason being is not that long ago, I did have all at work. I managed to damage my ankle. Okay. This person who's meant to be supervising the contact tried calling me on WhatsApp quite a few times. I wasn't able to answer because I was in the A&E department at the time. And then basically I got a message that evening saying my ex-partner says, oh, don't bother coming up. Now, this was on the Friday and yet I'm meant to be going up there the Saturday. Now, she gave me a 24-hour notice, fair enough, but... Just because I didn't respond to her call is the excuse they're using to stop me from seeing them. Well, you didn't have to respond to her call. She gave you, she told you don't come up, so you didn't come up. Exactly. Because I didn't respond to her mum's call, she wanted me to confirm whether I was going or not. Now, I've only been told by the judge to only communicate if I am not going, and that's an hour before. And you know what happens when you do communicate? You're arrested at one thirty in the morning. Yeah. And I know what happens when I communicate. Basically, I'll get accused of harassment. Mm-hmm. So there's no win-win situation for us men. And I hope that with the group that me and you are in at the moment, we'll be able to succeed in actually giving more men hope 
that things will change for the better. Uh, we are definitely giving more men hope. In just the four months that this podcast has been up, the similarities between the stories is uncanny. And if we could pick this up in a four-month window of just interviewing two dozen people, yeah, three dozen people maybe, how do the courts not see this? Exactly. And it's like, how did the court justify the fact of what I mentioned earlier about the deaths? Yeah. Just to circle back around to that. Yeah. The info you sent, can you send me the links? And I'll paste them up in the show notes. So if anybody's interested in finding any of the stats out or any of the research you did, they don't have to reinvent the wheel. They just click on the link. Yeah, that's no problem at all. Very cool. You know, it's all on Google as well. It's a matter of the question that you put in. You know, you type in women's aid, put in reviews, you'll see the review that I read out earlier. Now, how do we dig deeper into that? Okay, reviews are feelings, which we know we're not allowed to have. Yeah. I'm being cynical, sorry. But some people's business is domestic violence. And without domestic violence, they're not making money. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to stop. We're not trying to stop people who need help from getting help. We do understand there are men like women who are violent. There are women like men who are victims. Yeah. People within these groups, it might not even be the whole organization. It could be a couple of bad apples within the organization. No, exactly. We're never going to know basically what actually really happened unless a woman will come out and tell us. How did you feel when you got your non-mall, your non-molestation? To be fair, I was, I was pretty upset about it because obviously I was still going through the case of what was going on to go through the court system, the justice systems and everything like that, which in my opinion, I feel are in a way corrupt. I'm not going to lie about it, whether it's the court, whether it's the police, social services, all them sort of things, even the charities, what will, how can I put it, allow parental alienation to form. Well, now they're actually debating that parental alienation is now something that the abuser uses to instill more abuse, which is insane. I've been a victim of parental alienation. Yeah. And I feel the same way. I feel like a victim of that because I had a good relationship with my children. I had a good bond with my children. Same. And now what she's done through the non-molestation and going through all the courts and everything like that, she's now saying I have no rights to the lives that I helped create. Which, in my word, is a case of parental alienation. Another little one which I'm going to mention as well, this was about just in the middle of last year. I went up there one day to see, obviously, the children and find out what, you know, what was going on, sort of thing. But my daughter turned around and said to me later on that evening, Mummy told us all to go upstairs because I'm afraid that Daddy would have a knife on him. Now, tell me that's not parental alienation. A little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. I've never carried a weapon in my life. She's trying to petrify my daughter of speaking with me. Unfortunately, my daughter is strong mind. So it didn't really deter her. For my daughter to come out with something like that, someone must have put something in her head. Why would somebody say that? Especially a seven-year-old. Exactly. And at that time, probably a six-year-old, right? Yeah, at that time, she was a six-year-old, yeah. But then the other thing as well, which I don't get. Now, this is something which obviously is a question out there for both men and women. So I do hope that some women are listening into this. We do. Right. So one question I would get, if you're petrified of the person that you've broken up with, would you send them the postcode to the refuge that you've been placed into? No. In fact, they're not supposed to. But yeah. You're not supposed to give out these women's refuge addresses, okay? Because they're meant to be a safe house. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say which one it is, obviously, to protect other people. In- Absolutely case you know they are going through a real case of domestic violence or domestic abuse but i was given a postcode to this refuge by my ex which i'm now being accused of being the abuser it's like joe's wife who lives next door to him afraid to see him but has to live next door yeah when she moved from the refuge as well she then asked me to buy a undercounter freezer and a washing machine and deliver her a bed as well to her address that she's now living in. And this is during the non-molestation order. And this was during the non-molestation order. She's trying to get you killed. Yeah, during that whole time of the non-molestation order, she was talking to me. Okay, I was responding, that makes me just as bad. But she was asking me to help her out with things, I would help her. Trying to do the right thing. Now, from a security staff's point of view, I'm going to say, okay, women can be just as bad as men with the assaults. How can I put it? A drunk woman, can I say, could be worse than a bloke. Bear in mind, when a woman goes out, they'll wear stilettos, high heels, or anything. 
Now, I've seen women take their shoes off and hit men with them. I've seen men fight back. Who's the aggressor at that point? The law states over here in the UK, you're allowed to use reasonable force within the law. Does that apply for both men and women? Because if a man hits a woman, let's say in that sort of situation, after the woman gone at you with a stiletto or whatever, the man is automatically targeted as the aggressor. The woman's a victim. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't happen just one or two, you know, just one way. It happens both ways. Mm-hmm. It's a very good point. And my opinion is people like with domestic abuse sort of things and everything like that. And I've said the same to a lot of my friends that I've talked to. Why charge the bloke as the aggressor if there is no evidence? Wouldn't it be fair to say that both men and women should have to prove evidence of this happened, this happened? Oh, you mean like guilty before proven innocent? I mean, innocent before proven guilty? Yeah. For example, if a woman says, oh, he dislocated my shoulder, which is one of the claims that I've had against me, I know for herself that it hasn't happened. My friends know for themselves that that has never happened because that's not the way I am. You know, a lot of people over here, we have our own opinions, okay? With the government, we say money, land, and oil, which is a common saying over here in the UK. Money, land, and oil. How do you make money? Through the oil. Where does the oil come from? The land. Yeah. You know, it's government fighting over that sort of thing. But yet again, it can be used in the aspect of domestic abuse. Let's say, for example, you've got a friend of yours, let's say a male or female, it doesn't matter, who wants to go out with their friend. And you say, no, due to the fact you know that person's history. Now, that will cause a conflict between the relationship. Mm -hmm. Now, for example, let's say the person they wanted to go out with, okay, they've got a history of being violent or intoxicated, shall I say, through drink or drug. Let's, yeah, let's do drugs. Drugs is something that's illegal. So whether you're into it or not, it's illegal. You can't do it. Yeah. So we'll we use that. Okay. So that person who is actually on the drugs, let's say, could influence someone just as easily with mental health issues to do the same thing. Oh, absolutely. Right. Now, if you're in a relationship with someone who has mental health issues and that person you know is a bad influence, you would tell that person, no, I don't want you going with them. You're not telling them that don't be friends with them. Just saying that I'm a bit wary of it because of the situation. But it's the same for both sides. For example, if I went out with one of my friends who's, let's say, on drugs, yeah, I'll, I'll keep clear of them because obviously I don't want to get mixed in with that side of things. Yeah, you don't want to get pinched. You don't want to go to jail just for being in the wrong place, wrong time. They're in your car now. You're like, now my car gets impounded. Yeah, exactly. So I tend to keep clear of them people, but I know I do that sort of thing. A couple of people I know, you know, I'll still get on with them when I see them. But these sort of people, my ex were telling me to keep away from because of their situation. And that's okay. Right? And that was okay. That was absolutely fine by me. And I said to her, I said, well, I don't really want to get involved with what they're doing anyway. You know, I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. But as soon as it was the other way around, she was shouting, screaming, trying to fight me, <laughs> everything. I was like, wow. You know, what we're meant to do, we try and advise people, we can't tell you what to do. Do you really want to go out? Go out then, fine. You know, for example, women can advise the man that they don't like this sort of thing. So shouldn't the man be able to advise the woman that they don't like this sort of thing? And when you become together in a relationship, you've got to learn to trust each other. 100%. If there's no trust, there's no relationship. And it takes both to earn it. You can't just be one person to earn it. It's got to be both. And that trust erodes over time if if you don't continually earn it. Exactly. I had to earn the trust. For me to trust them, they had to earn my trust, which eventually I did settle down and had two children with this person that I trusted. But as soon as things start going downhill, let's say, that's when the trust kind of ended. Well, she went to her father's house and then sent you the lovely text saying, I'm not coming back. That's when you had an issue with your relationship? Uh, that's when I found out that there was an issue within the relationship. She claimed that she had any witnesses? Did anybody witness the dislocated shoulder? Not that I know of. If there was any witnesses, it would have probably been the neighbours within the flat. But I talked to all of them. They've always said to me, no, we've done everything. We wish that you two were still back upstairs. He absolutely enjoyed it with, with us being there because they knew what I used to do for, for work. So basically doing security work and all that sort of thing. So they knew if there was an issue at the block, 
I would probably be the one sorting it out. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm that sort of person. You know, little things like that. Because the person who was in that flat was a single mother. Okay. She had a little girl. Cool. And my daughter used to get on really well with her child. You know, if I was outside, let's say, and the mother wasn't watching my daughter, my daughter would come running down the stairs, straight to the door and go and play with the little girl in that flat. She would go straight to my neighbor's door, knock on the door. I'm coming here to play, you know, play with my friend. <laughs> so, you know, we all had that close bond within that block. I love that. Where kids run to the neighbor's house, neighbor's kids come over here, come home from work, your wife runs to you. Keep your clothes on, the whole neighborhood's in the, in the living room. Oh, okay. There was a sense of belonging within that block. No, I like a good neighborhood, especially, you know, as a New Yorker, we're very neighborhoody. You protect your neighborhood, you're house proud and you protect your neighborhood. Exactly. I mean, so, you know, I look out for the neighbors down here. They all know me. They've known me since I was a kid. That's right. Yeah, you're in the same town. Yeah. I, w- I moved off when I got into the relationship with my ex. We- I moved off to Croydon, only finding out that my birth dad, he lived in that area. No kidding. Nope. So I got to meet him. How'd that go? That- it was very awkward to begin with. I bet. Had you met him before or that was the first time you met him? No, I did meet him once before, but it was very awkward because... How can I put it? When I was adopted, there was a lot of things said about my birth family, which was always coached into my head that I kind of despised, in a way, despised them. I could see that. I'll tell you what, over the years that I've actually got to know him, he's, how can I put it? He's a bit like a comedian, should I say. <laughs> he's one of those sort of people. Okay. But he would happily put on women's clothing okay. and walk up to the shop. <laughs> Basically, that's what he would do. I, I actually managed to get a video recording of him actually doing that. And, I like his style, actually. I'd probably do the same. I had to record him. I thought, no, he ain't going to do that like that as a joke. Oh, of course, man. That's awesome. That's funny. I mean, during the whole video recording, you'd just hear like myself and my sister. You'd hear me and her both just laughing, laughing away behind them. And you've got people going up to him, going, like smiling and laughing and taking photos of him like that. And he's like, I don't care. <laughs> like his style. Gone down to the hospital like that and... Believe it or not, he only got an invitation from the hospital that he went to to go into the children's ward. Really? That's Did he do it? Uh, he hasn't yet, but he is going to. My little guy has been sick. He's been in the hospital. He's, he's doing well now, knock on wood. But uh, yeah, it's tough. Oh, yeah. Man, seeing sick kids. And they the parents alone get a kick out of it. I'm with a group called 1066 Motorcycles. We are a group of all different people from the south coast of the UK. We do a lot of things with families. Good man, good man. We've done an event not that long ago for a boy with a brain tumour and we raised, uh, I think it was over £4,000 to that kid. There was 850 of us, all people that took time off work to go out on our bikes to enjoy ourselves and help the family. Now, we are also doing another one, which is in December, which we, we call the Christmas Toy Run. So we take donations of like toys and stuff like that. And we will take them around to like hospitals and very cool. Give them away to children that have had to stay in hospital over that period. Nice. The guy who runs the group, he will be going dressed up as Santa. That's cool. We do have a guy who will go up there dressed up as a Grinch. So we do have everything as well. We support both mm-hmm. men and women. And I feel that like within relationship issues, you've got women's aid, but you need something now for men mm-hmm. because men have only got like Samaritans, which are for both sexes, but there's nothing specifically out there that I've seen or been able to find for just men alone. You took my next question right out of my mouth. You talked about there's help out there for children. There's definitely help out there for women. Yeah. Is there a couple of groups that I'm part of, but I'm very good friends with everybody in Falsely Accused Network UK. Yeah. And we only have that because of a guy named Mike and Gavin. Both those guys started this and we know them. So if you didn't know them or bump into them, that was it. There's no resources out there for men. Now, there's more. The US has fatherhood.gov. It's up and coming. Yeah, there are now starting to be more things out there for men. And this is a message to men as well. If you feel that you've been falsely accused, please go to them because they will help you. They will talk to you. We all become very good friends as I know Mike myself. He's a very lovely guy. There's all sorts of different characters in that group. We're all in there. You know, come and join us. Okay, we're all going through a bad time, but there is help there. And this is something that needs to be put across, not just like 
in certain areas, but it needs to go across the whole of the world. I totally agree. It just makes sense. If we know there's a yin, there's a yang. If we know there's a right, there's a wrong. If we know there's a good, there's an evil. And if we know there's domestic violence, then there's going to be false allegations. Exactly. If we know there's false allegations, guess what? There's domestic violence. They go hand in hand. We can't ignore one without addressing the other. And we've been doing that. In coming through a seven-year relationship, what advice would you give to younger listeners today or things they could look for? Maybe signs we might have missed along the way? Any kind of red flags? Anything you got? Some of the red flags I do recommend looking out for is if one of the parties go very quiet. Mm. Now, some people will take it in two different ways. And one of the routes that I found was myself and my partner, we kind of went really quiet and, you know, it took a lot of work to kind of start talking again. But the one thing I will mention that is if someone does remain quiet for quite a long time, there's an issue somewhere that she's not wanting to say what it is. Yeah. That's one thing I will say to younger listeners to keep an eye out for because it will happen. Right. It's not always a bad thing. Sometimes they just haven't got nothing to say. So it can be misinterpreted. But if they start being quiet for long periods of times, then they kind of start looking like they're getting depressed like that. That's when, you know, there's an issue. Yeah, that's smart. Because you're not talking the one-off. Everyone can have a day, even a week, when they just don't feel like talking to anybody. But if you're noticing night after night, conversation after conversation, a different mood with friends than when you show up. Yeah. You know, she's happy laugh- laughing with friends, and then you come and it's melancholy. You might want to say is something wrong and maybe break up amicably. Exactly. If there's such a thing, which there is. You know, a bunch of people who were able to do this and not destroy their children or their family or their finances in the process. And then there's us. Yeah. And then obviously, you know, with the sort of situation that I'm in, if you find yourself in the situation, my advice is now with children, Okay, it's a difficult thing to do, but do not fuel the fire. Yeah. And when I say do not fuel the fire, I mean, kind of take it easy. Let them come to you. Because if they come to you, you know for a fact that you're not the one fueling the fire. They are now trying to work things out. And it's the same with both sides. Men will go quiet. You know, some women will constantly be on us guys, okay? Mm -hmm. And constantly messaging someone is a good sign of pushing someone away. But it will also make the think, guy think, hang on a minute, she's being too nice, there's an issue. So there's a lot of different flags out there that people do need to learn. But I can't say exactly what the flags are going to be because every single person is different. Just be vigilant, just constantly be aware. Grace, you're starting to break up a lot, so I'm going to wrap it up. I don't know if it's my end or your end. Could be mine. we got wind around here. Okay. Is that better? Yeah, actually, you're coming in really clear now. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, my... um. Pain in the butt sister, she tried to call me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, now now that you're saying that, yeah, that totally sounds like that sound. Okay. Grace, listen, I want to thank you very much for coming on the Why Daddy Never Cried podcast. Always welcome, sir. And thank you. Thank you for sharing your story because oh, yeah. a lot of similarities in what we're going through. And the one thing I think, we, and we've talked about it, is everyone feels they're alone going through this, especially when you've been accused of being a monster. You don't want to share. You don't want to tell. Exactly. It's embarrassing to feel like like you're this person that you're being accused of, even when you know deep down in your heart and all your friends and families tell you you're not that person. Yeah. Thank you very much for sharing your story and anything I can do to help. Can I just add one last thing onto that? 1,000%. Cool. The one last thing I did want to add onto that as well, with obviously with what you just said. Yeah. Okay. Through the whole time, I did feel alone through the whole thing. Like obviously being shoved off by the authorities and everything like that, I felt left on my own. Mm-hmm. It actually did affect my home life. Okay, I wasn't able to have that relationship with my nieces and their children. And it also affected me at work. Now, with where I'm working, I deal with families. And sometimes I find it really, really hard to concentrate with my work, especially when I've got like families with children. Yeah. And this is something that everyone will feel going through this sort of thing. I remember sitting on a subway and there was a mother with her two children there and they were the same ages as my daughters at the time. And I just looked at him and I just started crying. I just started crying. And the mother looked at me and I just put my hand up like, I'm okay. And she like put her hands around her kids. I don't know what she thought. She probably thought I lost my children, which technically I, I guess I had at that time because they weren't in my life, Yeah. which is what, what this whole alienation feels like. You're mourning a, a living child. You're literally mourning a living child. 
Race, where can our listeners find you? So I am in with a group in TikTok, okay? It's called the team of It's Okay Not To Be Okay Team. It's run by a lady called Teresa. I do go into her lives quite often, so I'm always available on there. Very cool. If you do see me on there, I will please say hello to everybody. And I'm more than happy for other people to come and talk to me about issues that they're going through. And then I will happily do one-to-one conversations with people privately and try and help you the best way that I can, whether it's both male or female. Very cool. And that's the way we have to be, man. The more we raise all of our kids correctly, the better world we're leaving behind. Exactly. Yep. You know, everyone should respect each other, look after each other, because we all live once. You know, children have one childhood and they're never going to go back to that stage. Once they grow up, they grow up. I do feel a little sad. Some not sad. Sad. Yeah, sad's a uh, the right word. I feel bad for my older daughters that they didn't get the childhood I wanted to give them, and they get to see that now with their younger siblings. They see the childhood they could have had if we weren't dragged through this nonsense every single time we picked them up for years on years and years. You know, I feel the same way because obviously my little boy he's missed out on a lot of things. My boy's the youngest. You know, there's a lot of things I did with my daughter mm-hmm. that I now can't do with my boy. Yeah. And I can't treat him the same as my daughter because obviously I'm not there. You know, there's a lot of things that I would love to do with like with my little boy. You know, there's a lot of things that I would love to do with the pair of them. This is what I think you have to tell the, uh, how am I forgetting this word every time? The supervised visit person. That's what you have to tell them when you get there. I'll do whatever I whatever it takes. I don't care. Tell me I gotta crawl through glass. I just want to be in my children's lives. Yeah, exactly. But believe it or not, the person who's doing the supervised part for me, now this is where it's a little bit unfair, is my ex's mum. What? Yeah. And she gets to write the report? She doesn't write the report. It is down to the social worker. But the person who does the supervised visits with me, which is an agreed thing by the court, is my ex's mum for a couple of months until I go unsupervised. How do you guys get along? Not too well. We're a recording device. Oh, yes, definitely. Granted, it'll take you two years to be able to present your evidence, but at least you'll have it when they finally do give you a court date. Exactly. I'm lucky enough for me, I have got another court date set for the final hearing. I've done two sessions at the court so far. I've had no solicitor, no support, apart from my sister who has been there with me. Sisters are great. You know, she came only on the second one. The first one, I went there with my ex-partner at the time because we were actually talking and getting on absolutely fine. But now I look at it is the reason why that we both went together is because she knew that I had a lot of things that I could have came out with. Right. And I think that was another form of a way that she was trying to blackmail me to be nice about her. That's another thing I would recommend to everybody as well. Do not go to the court with your ex-partner in tow. Try and go separately. Okay. Because obviously with that aspect of you going together, okay, it shows that you're getting on, but... I also feel that that may also jeopardize your case because the judge will say, well, you're getting on now. You know, what's going on? In hindsight, I'd agree with you on that 100%. We always got along in front of the judges and even the mediators, parent coordinators, that, which are also useless. Yeah. But yeah, when you get along in front of them, they don't realize that, hey, when the doors are closed, guess what? I get nothing. When you're not in the room, I get nothing. I don't get to see my kids. I get someone who's standing outside on the street while I'm trying to pick my kids up, following us up the block. You know, you don't see those things. No, exactly. One of the things I do recommend, if you are going on supervised contact, do make sure that you are recording conversations. Please make sure you record the calls as well, because if there's any sort of abuse coming across from either his or her side, record it so there's evidence. Now, you guys can legally record over there. Certain states in America, you cannot record a conversation unless the other per- both parties are privy to it. Guys up in Massachusetts got jammed up for a recording because you couldn't do that. Oh, so basically over here, you can record in public, but if it's in a private setting, for example, with the social worker and myself, I always make sure that she knows that I'm recording the call and I've got a witness there to listen in as well. So you'd have to let your ex-mother-in-law know that you're recording the supervised visits. I don't know whether I have to or not. I will be looking into that. I would definitely. But in uh, the UK, if you're in a public place, you're allowed to record what basically whatever you see. 
you know, I would look into that. I would even let your ex-mother-in-law know, oh, by the way, I'm recording this whole thing. That way it could even just eliminate them trying to lie, knowing you're recording the whole thing, assuming you're allowed to and you get that. But I'd definitely get that squared away. That's probably very good advice. I really thank you coming on the show, man. There's uh, there's some really good stuff in there for some guys that it's definitely going to help them. No, I'm glad I'm able to help some people, hopefully. Today we heard about another red flag. She had a child removed from a previous relationship. Is that the end all end all? No. But did she seek professional help afterwards? And if the answer is also no, you have to seriously consider if this relationship is right for you. Also, we've seen another person accuse multiple people of abuse over the course of her relationships. Big red flag, people. Once they've called the cops, they'll always call the cops. And yes, again, disclaimer, sometimes you gotta call the cops, sometimes guys are assholes. Not in this case, and not in the cases that we're hearing on this show. Remember one thing, Race recognized that he was equally guilty for responding to her texts. Gentlemen, these aren't the girlfriends you broke up with and went your separate ways, and then maybe every once in a while, hooked up again. These are the girlfriends that called the cops on you, put you in jail, literally and figuratively. Race went to court to get contact with his children. And what did the court so graciously give him? But supervised contact every other Saturday and Monday on Facebook. Lottie fucking da. No wonder society's crumbling. If you ever wonder why these guys lose their fucking minds, think about that. Since the court gave him his menial daddy access time, getting together with his kids hasn't happened. So who's coercive controlling whom? And yes, unfortunately, seeing families together will mess with you from time to time. Embrace it. Cry if you have to. And just know, in your heart, someday you'll be reunited with your kids. And God willing, everything will be okay. We must get our voices out there. Send us your stories to Why Daddy Never Cries at Gmail or Why Daddy Never Cries on Facebook. Remember, this is a daily and sometimes hourly struggle. So follow us on Daddy Never Cries at Twitter and Why Daddy Never Cries on Instagram. And let your voice be heard. Let's end the fatherless children's syndrome that's plaguing this world. You can't change what happened to you, brothers. So figure out how to make it work for you and your children. When life gave me lemons, I said to hell with a glass. I'm making an international lemonade franchise. So until next time, take a deep breath. You've got this, Daddy. So it's no way.